In my memory, at least in the American church, certainly, um, doing church, right, doing the church life, doing church things, things that we do in church, um, has never been so disruptive. Now, and I understand, I, I look at the rest of the world, and I understand this is, this is the norm for a lot of the rest of the world, but not here in America. This really shook us. It shook us to our core. Um, I mean, there's a lot of facets of our life that were totally disrupted by this COVID thing, but, but our, our church life, right, the things that we got so used to doing got seriously disrupted. Um, the normal accepted, expected practices of followers of Jesus Christ worldwide really kind of got thrown into a, a, a kind of a tizzy. Um, you know, we still attend worship services and participate in Sunday school and small groups, but um, virtually it's just not the same, right? So I, I know this. You, you think I don't know this, but I know for a fact that a lot of you stopped watching. <laughs> yeah, we, we know. We know. <laughs> um, because, again, I, I know we get it, right? Virtual learning, you, you, you talk to your sons and daughters. They're hating it. It's just it's, it's very difficult, uh, without eye-to-eye, eyeball-eyeball contact and, and reading each other. It's just, and the same goes for worship. It's just not the same. Um, and then we used to, well, we used to, we still, we, we, you know, giving time and money and talent, but with, with a skeletal crew here and skeletal operations, many people found that their churches weren't bugging them about their time and their money and their talents anymore. They were just like, uh, just come back in a year. We'll, we'll be good. Um, and, you know, and this church has been amazing. Our, our giving really hasn't dropped off at all. But the fact of the matter is, and we know this, many people lost their jobs. So when the church asks, hey, tithe, they're like, yeah, not now. I got no job. And then spiritual disciplines, right? Without the mutual encouragement and the support of a readily available body of Christ, spiritual disciplines have suffered a little bit. You know, I, again, you've, you've told me this. You've been honest with me. But, but for other people, it's been like the only thing that's kept your head above water, Right? You really leaned into your spiritual disciplines, your, your personal, because we couldn't have corporate spiritual disciplines. So, again, but, but at a certain point, I don't know if you recognized, I recognized this in me, it was kind of an empty kind of thing. It's kind of like um, practicing and practicing and practicing, but never being allowed in the game. Right? You're reading about love and your personal devotions. You're reading in God's Word about how he, he helped people and loved people, and you realize, I can't. Right, Because you can't read the Bible without recognizing that you need to love God and you need to love your neighbor. And we've been forced into this kind of situation where we're only allowed to love God. Right? COVID has kept us to a certain degree from loving our neighbors. So we're, we're, we're doing our personal devotions, but there's, there's like an angst built in because we can't do what the Spirit is calling us to do through the living Word. And so we got we, uh, this, like, this, this little bit of a disconnect. So for church leaders, it's been kind of back to the drawing board, right? If, if, you, if you follow any, any church magazines, church leader magazines, all the articles are the same thing. COVID, what to do now? I mean, every single one of them is some variation of that title. Church leader, pastor, board member, whatever. COVID, what are you going to do now? I mean, that, 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 that's everything. Um, so, so what we've all done is we've all gone, gone back to the book of Acts, Right? And there's, there's several reasons that so many pastors and church leaders have gone back to the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts, for, for one reason, it's the only biblical record, I don't know if you're aware of this, the only biblical record we have of the incredibly rapid growth of the church in the first century. We have Paul's letters, which are 
We have some hints in his letters, but really in his letters, we're looking more at his in, uh, an inner life of Paul and, and the theological struggles that he's trying to teach struggling churches, but we don't really have the history of the growth of the church. But in the book of Acts, we've got that. And, and again, it's the only biblical document we have. So we, we study the book of Acts. People re- study the book of Acts like probably no other book. It's just the book because it tells. There's so much adventure, too. It's just so much adventure. Shipwrecks, I mean, the whole nine yards, it, it, it's all there. Um, but the thinking is, the thinking for, for pastors like us is, is if they can do it in the first century with all the opposition they had, you recognize they had, they had opposition for everybody. The Jews didn't like what they were doing and the Gentiles didn't like what they were doing. And I don't know if you recognize in the ancient world, once you combine the Jews and the Gentiles, that's the whole world, right? You're either Jewish or non-Jewish. So everybody was against what the Jewish, or excuse me, what the Christians were doing. Tons of opposition. So church leaders say are thing like, if they can do it in the first century, right after everything happened, when everything is still fresh in everybody's memory, maybe we'll be able to do it 21 centuries later. I mean, it, it's worth a try. I mean, that's all we got, right? We, we look at that record and we think, oh, we, how did they do it? How did they do it? And I, and I found three foundational reasons, three reasons why they made it, why the Christian religion spread throughout the known world so rapidly and why the church will continually continue to spread throughout the known world even today. Three reasons, three foundational um, reasons that tell us that we can do it too. But first, a couple of words of just how unique this, this book of Acts is. First of all, the title is a little bit confusing. Right, hit that next slide there. Um, in, in North America, we call it the Book of Acts. That's, that's generally what we call it there. Um, in, in the rest of the world, the more popular title is, is the, the, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of Apostles. Um, but the problem is, as we look at these titles, the first two, and, and that second one is not nearly as popular, but it's actually very, very, very accurate. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Luke uh, writes his 28 some odd chapters of Acts, and he kind of splits it in half, right? He gives the first half to Peter and the Jewish church, and the second half to Paul and the Gentile church. It's almost as if, and there's a lot of writing, and I, and I don't know where the truth lies, um, but there was a little bit of uh, some racial tensions, um, cultural tensions, I guess I should say, between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And so the diplomat Luke is like, you know, he writes this book that's going to be read by Gentiles. And the Gentiles know that this is a Jewish religion. So he writes this beautiful book and he, he's a diplomat. He's not lying. He's not dishonest. But he, if you read it carefully, he kind of smooths over the differences and the difficulties between the two churches, right? He's saying to the whole Gentile world that this, this, this thing that started amongst the Jews and is now spreading among the Gentiles, it's one big amazing thing. Like, and we're not hating each other. We're, we're actually, we, we struggled a little bit, but, but, but we're moving forward in unity, right? So, so Luke's writing this, 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 the book of Acts with, with, the, with that kind of in mind. So the, the Acts of Peter chapters 1 through 12 through 15, something like that, and then the Acts of Paul a little bit later on in that. But here's the problem with those first two titles is it horribly, over, it horribly underemphasizes the work and role of the Holy Spirit, right? You get that title, you think of the Acts of the Apostles, like, wow, they did it all by themselves. We can too, and, and the, the part of the equation everybody leaves out is the Holy Spirit. So, so then a lot of people have chosen that last one, Acts of the Holy Spirit, but again, that kind of underemphasizes the role of the Apostles, which was very, very unique Incredibly unique because they were the only ones that saw and experienced firsthand, eyeball, 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 everything that happened. We can't do that ever again. 
That can never happen again. So those apostles are incredibly important. So, you know, we, we play with some different titles, you know, uh, and, and finally I got this, I got this one. Uh, for the time being, we're going to use this alternative title. A Bible scholar suggested it, but it didn't stick. And I don't know why, because it just rolls off the tongue. Right? Hit that next one. It's the continuing acts of Jesus Christ by his spirit through his apostles. So that's the new book. That's the new title of the book, at least for this morning, that we're going we're gonna to work with. Right? Second important thing to remember about the book, of, the book of the continuing acts of Jesus Christ by his spirit through his apostles is the continuing acts of Jesus part. Right? You caught that, right? The continuing Acts of Jesus. And this tells us that this book, the book of Acts, is actually part two of a two book set. I don't know if you guys were aware of that, but it is very much so a part of a two, kind of a two book set. Um, and there's a lot of books in the Bible um, that are meant to go together, right? In the Old Testament, uh, hit, the, hit one more slide there. Um, in the Old Testament, we have, you know, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 uh, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Those aren't really separate books. Those were one book that were just so insanely long on the scrolls that they cut the scroll in half, and now we got two, right? There's really the book of Samuel, the book of Kings, and the book of Chronicles. And in the New Testament, we got a lot of ones and twos also, but that wasn't long scrolls. Those were the number of letters that Paul wrote, that he wrote to Timothy, or that Peter wrote a couple, John wrote three of them. So we got a lot of these numbers, but Luke Acts is kind of different. Luke Acts, back, back up one more for just a second um, on the PowerPoint, back up one. Um, there are a lot of books in the Bible that go together. I don't know if you recognize this, but a lot of them just go together. Uh, the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, right? Jeremiah is warning the people that, that destruction is coming, and then, and then in Lamentations, he's got these beautiful poems. But those two books go together, but there's no really instruction. Hey, Christians, read these books together. And then we have Ezra and Nehemiah um, in the Old Testament. They're coming back from exile from Babylon, and, and, and they're rebuilding the temple. And, and, of course, the story of Esther, which happens while they were in captivity in Persia. So the Bible kind of groups those together. And Haggai and, and Zechariah and Malachi, you know, the last prophets. So they're kind of all grouped together. And this is your homework. I'm not going to give you the answer here, but Job and Habakkuk. I'll just leave that one alone. Um, th there's something common going on there, and I'll just, I'll just say right now, go home and read those two together. And, and if you lost somebody recently, read those two together and read also C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed. I'll just tell you right now, you will understand and you will be at a far beautiful place than where you might be right now. Song of Solomon's, uh, Song of Song, Proverbs, you know, Solomon. And again, a little bit of your homework, go find out what Jonah and Nahum have in common because they, they should be read together. Kind of weird, but they do. Now, but the book of Luke Acts, this is the weird one, right? There's nothing that would tell you that this book is the first half and this is the second half of this book. The connection between the public ministry of Jesus and the public ministry of the church is really narrated between the last chapters of, you, of Luke into the first chapters of Acts, right? What Jesus did in the book of Luke the church is now going to do in the book of Acts. But it's not a story, according to Luke, it's not a story about Jesus, you know, from his birth to his crucifixion, you know, resurrection and ascension. And then a second book about the church, its birth, its rapid spread throughout the Roman Empire, and eventually it lands in Rome. You know, it's not two separate stories. That, that's not at all what Luke is driving at as he puts his, his two books together. Um, Again, by studying 24, Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1 together, right, we, we watch, we literally watch 
the work and ministry of Jesus Christ become the work and ministry of the church. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to rephrase that in just a moment. Um, let me work toward it. Um, again, it's beyond a question that the author of the two books are, are, are Paul's, uh, his traveling companion, Luke, Dr. Luke, I don't know what we want to call him. Um, there's a lot of clues in the book itself, right? As you read through the book of Luke, the first 12, 15 chapters, you don't see a whole lot of we because Luke wasn't there for that part, right? He is, he's heard from Jesus. He's heard from, uh, excuse me, Luke. He's heard from all the disciples. He spent time in the Holy Land in Palestine, and he's, all of it is they did this, they did. But then when you get to the second half of the book, when he's traveling, when Luke is traveling with Paul, you get a whole bunch of we. We did this, and we did that, and we did this. So, so you can see how he is kind of not there and explaining what happened before he got there, and then he's picking up the story as, a, as an eyewitness. Um, so, Luke is definitely, definitely the, the, the author of both of them. And then we have Luke's own words. This is from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants to the word, to Christ. Right? Don't be confused there. Verse 3, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... Again, so chapters 1 through 15, he's investigated and he's reporting. He didn't see all that stuff. I, too, decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent, the office, so that you may know the certainty of the things uh, you have been taught. And then the opening words of the book of Acts. You're going to see the connection here. In my former book, <laughs> there's the big clue, Theophilus, who I wrote the first book to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until... Okay, that book is until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. So we have in the book of Acts three really important kind of surprising facts that have led so many people, including me, to the book of Acts to find out how do we move forward from here. Number one, we have the only biblical record of that rapid growth of the church, right? So we're obviously going to dig in there. Second thing, it's um, the, the, the interesting thing about it is it's the second part of a two-volume set, right? Luke and Acts. Um, and it, again, it tells the story of Christ and, and the church. Um, but third, together with his gospel, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the writer Luke, who's non-Jewish, could very well be, depending on how many of the letters of Paul are actually Paul's letters, because we're not sure on a couple of them, he, Luke, the non-Jewish writer, wrote as much of the New Testament as, as Paul. And personally, that was kind of surprising to me. Luke, I didn't know that. Um, but that book of, Luke, book of Acts is kind of a fat book. There's a lot going on in there. Um, so he's one of the key writers. I always thought Paul was like, by far, Luke's right up next to him. And so, so what do we have here? We have what we might call a title for the two books together. I'm calling it Dear the Theophilus, Jesus, and Two Acts. Because it's super important, and I want to dig in on this a little bit. Super important to understand that Luke does not think of his gospel as, again, the story of Jesus and the story of the church. That's not the way he writes it at all. The way he writes it is the book of Acts is the story of Jesus in person on earth and Jesus by his spirit from heaven. So the only, the, the difference isn't, you know, Jesus and the church because Jesus was there, is there from beginning to end. It's where he's calling the shots from, Right? When he was alive in the book of Acts, he was calling the shots in person from earth. In the book of Acts, he's still calling the shots, y'all. He's still calling the shots. He's not just sitting up there going, I can't wait till I meet everybody. I can't wait till, you know, when the Father's time comes and everybody. No, he's still calling the shots. 
but it's through his spirit by us or by his spirit through us, first through the disciples and then through us. The book of Acts then, again, is the works and deeds of Jesus Christ in the flesh on earth and the works and deeds of Jesus Christ by his spirit from heaven. One book about Jesus Christ and his mission. First alone and then commission us. So in Luke's gospel, Jesus exercises his ministry personally and publicly, and then in the book of Acts, he exercises his ministry through the Spirit. Um, another quick look at the opening verses of Acts it says this. In my former book, The Offices, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach and tell the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the disciples that he had chosen. There's, there's the break, and now we got the book of Acts right there. So... Now that we kind of got a feel for the train over which we're going to go for this, this seven-week series leading right up to May 23rd, Pentecost Sunday, uh, just a very quick word about Pentecost and our, our series title. Um, we're calling it The, the Spirit um, because it is the, the birth of the Spirit, the birth of the church, really. Um, Pentecost is first explained again in the final chapter of Luke, right there, Luke chapter 4. 24, verse 49, it says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power. Now, remember that word, power. Clothed with power from on high. Now, the book of John calls the Spirit the Comforter. And I saw this in a song we were singing a little bit earlier. And just a very short word about this. This is a word that John Wycliffe, a, a, an early 1500s Bible translator, um, and the word comforter, it, it's a fine and it, it's a great word, but it it's, it's the meaning of the word is changed over time, right? We think of the word comfort and we think of pillows, a, 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 a down comforter, you know, and, and, a, and a coffee cup of coffee and, and, and soft, right? A comfortable chair. But what Wycliffe was really driving at when he chose this word, and, and again, it's still a really, really great word, and, I, and I'm not negating that, that the Holy Spirit will make you feel I'm not negating that, but really the comfort comes from, it's like being comfortable with the fact that you brought a gun to a knife fight. That's really what Wycliffe was driving at. It gives you comfort to know that you can lick anybody in the room, right? That, 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 that's what he's driving at. You can, be, you can be comforted if you're stressed out and anxious about um, uh, utilizing the tools of God's kingdom instead of the tools of the kingdoms of this world. Stop worrying, be comforted in the fact that if you use forgiveness and love and mercy as your driving life principles, you're going to do wow. You're just going to do great. You have nothing to worry about. So that's really what he's saying by the comforter. He's not going to, you know, set you a pillow. He's going he's to let you know, hey, you're a warrior. You can do what I've called you to do. Right? So the comforter kind of thing. I still love it, but okay. Um, then the promise is delivered, right? The promise is given, last chapter of Luke. Promise is given, first chapter, second chapter of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Right? So it became, it came to be known as Pentecost. It's not like, hey, Pentecost is here, woo-hoo, and we're going to celebrate it for this day ever. Right? They, they celebrated it because the Holy Spirit arrived and they counted back and they go, wow, that was 50 days since Easter, counting Easter. Then they called it Pentecost, just, just to be clear, okay, that, that's kind of where it came from. Uh, keep reading, uh, verses 3 and 4. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Like, boom, bam, baby, like the Tower of Babel reversed, just like that. 
Tower of Babel reverse, right? A spreading and, and, and a confusion of languages, and suddenly there's a, a unity of languages. Why? Because everybody's got to understand what the disciples are saying. It's the most important news in the world. The most important world the news is ever most important news that the world has ever heard. An incredible work going on there. By way of the Spirit of the risen Christ. So in our series that we're going to be finishing on Pentecost Sunday, we're going to be studying only the first 15 chapters of Acts, just to kind of let you know that. Because in that first 15 chapter of Acts is really a, a, a hyper-study, focused study on the work of the Holy Spirit, the spark of the Holy Spirit that launched this very distinctly Jewish, right? It was locked by religion. It was locked by nationality. It was locked by culture into this little tiny area in the eastern Mediterranean world. The Holy Spirit spark that took that little tiny thing and launched it into what it is today worldwide phenomena, right? Ha, ha. That transition. So again, we're going to study the first 15 chapters and your homework will be then to go study the last half of the book in how that spark of the Holy Spirit gets played out, right? In the, in the journeys of Paul. So, all right. So um, here's where we land after reading Luke and the book of Acts together, uh, right up there. What Jesus does in Luke's gospel, the church does in Acts. Which brings us to a question that just just been really kind of getting at me. Um, how do how, can, can we expect that? Right? We, we, we go to Acts chapter 2 quite often. It's, it's, um, like, I'm going to go to the book of Acts and I'm going to go to one passage. And what's the one passage we all, we all just love to go to? Chapter 2, verses 47, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the teaching, the apostles' teachings, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Like we look at that passage, we're like, oh, we want to be like that. We want to be like that. We want to be like that. But it really doesn't tell us how they got like that. And what it really doesn't tell us also, if you read through the book of, or read through all of Paul's letters, what do you find out? They weren't doing as good as it sounds, right? They were basket cases, every single one of them. Because why? They were filled with people, humans, trying to figure out this radically new way of thinking. And it was a rough start, right? That's why all Paul's letters are like, look, you guys, look, don't, don't, stop chasing that rabbit hole. Stop chasing that rabbit. You've been given the truth. Stop, you know, every single letter. So, so, so again, we, we church leaders, we look at the book of Acts and we think, well, well, some of them made it and some of them didn't. But the only record I got is the book of Acts, so we, we dig in to the book of Acts. So again, our question, right? What makes us think that we can do what they did? What makes us think that we can do in the 21st century what they did in the very first century? Three things stand out for me that tell us that we can do what they did because they had the three things and we also have these three things. The first thing is the breaking of bread. All right, we read this in the very last chapter of Luke. This is in Luke chapter 24. Verses 13 and 14. It says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, called Emmaus. And Emmaus is about two to three hours walk west of Jerusalem, west of Jerusalem, walking into the sunset. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, a lot of, oh my goodness, there's been so much writing, right? That, again, they're, they're walking into the setting sun. They, they can't recognize the person next to them. Uh, selective attention, right? I, we've talked about this before. I've experienced it several different ways. Uh, one Father's Day, my son-in-law gave me a brand new barbecue, giant barbecue, set it all up too, put it together in my garage. Sunday afternoon, they come over for Father's Day and I'm going to barbecue hamburgers. I'm very excited. And Diane says, go out in the garage and get your grill. So I go out in the garage and I'm shoving, I'm trying to move this big shiny thing and I'm, I'm seeing my grill and I'm trying to move this big shiny thing. It's a big, giant, shiny, brand new barbecue in my own garage, but I don't see it. I am literally moving it to get to my cruddy old beat up barbecue. And finally, Diane says, Jerry, Jerry, look at what you're moving. <laughs> right? So, you know, so, so I, I get it. I, another time, very, very quickly, I, I have a friend in college, and, and he's a lawyer, and, and he was in San Francisco in a, in a building doing whatever he does, and he started talking to another person. And they started talking about where they went to college, and he says, I went to Point Loma Nazarene College, and she says, I know a guy that went to Point Loma Nazarene College. I dated him in high school, right? Her name is Jeannie. It was me. I dated her in high school. And so they too, they decide, oh, we're going to play a trick on Jerry. Um, I always, we, we have dinner in San Francisco and we, we like blues music, so we do that occasionally. So I'm going to invite him to dinner and you're going to be there. We'll see what he does. So I walk in and, and Chris says, hey, Chris, Chris. And, and oh, that was it. He's going to introduce her as his wife. That was the joke. And I sit down. Now, now, now come on. Now, I dated this girl for like three or four months. My senior year. So it wasn't like I was really, really super young and I didn't have a brain. I mean, I, I remember some things a little bit. And I'm sitting down and, and we're talking and I keep looking at her. And she hasn't changed. You know how guys go bad really quickly? Women don't. I don't know how that is, but it, it is. But um, she looked identical. And I kept looking at her going, I know this girl. I know this girl from somewhere. And I finally said, do I know you? And then she hit me and I'm Jeannie, you idiot. And, and then it all came back to me. It was just like, whoosh, how did I miss it? The brain is the weirdest thing sometimes. But, you know, as I look in the scripture here, I, I am leaning more toward maybe there's just something supernatural going on here. Whether it's Christ and, and he's got his spirit body, his risen, his resurrection body, or there's something going on and I, I can't put my finger on it. But the bottom line, bottom line, um, verse 30 and 31, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. You notice the word began. So in the process of the breaking of the bread, and giving to them, their eyes were opened. You know, as a Nazarene church, we, we share communion. More often than a lot of Nazarene churches do it, but probably less than others. Um, and the Nazarene church kind of stands, well, I don't think we're transubstantiation. We, we're kind of all over the map. What, what goes on in the Eucharist? Is that the actual body? Is it the spiritual body? You know, commemorative, all that kind of thing. But, and there's something going on when we break bread together, whether it's around a family meal or it's around the elements. As you read through Scripture, there's just something incredibly deep relationally 
very importantly, when we sit down and, and, and eat together. Isn't that weird? Kind of, just kind of odd. But there's also that sacramental aspect. When he breaks bread, we suddenly, like our eyes are opened. Like when we share communion, I, I sometimes, I wonder, a person who's brand new to Christ and for the very first time they're, they're, they're sharing communion and they really maybe don't understand fully what Christ did for them. And in that moment, when they take the element, and they break the bread, they go, And they see Christ for the first time. They see him in the elements, in the, in, 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 in the wine, the spilled blood. His blood poured out for us. So again, theologically speaking, there's some things going on here. Number one, Jesus draws near to hearts that are searching. If you've got friends who are searching, Jesus will draw near to them. That's just a fact. Second thing, the power of the living word. Not only the power of Jesus' word speaking to those two travelers on the road to Emmaus, but then you notice that when he reads Scripture, the Scripture had some life to it somehow, and the Scripture made them, what does it say? Hit this, right? In the very next passage, uh, 32, they asked each other after Jesus had he, he disappeared. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? So there's something about the living word, the word of Christ himself, and then our, our, the still living word, right? And when they share Jesus, well, when you share Jesus with anyone, I, I, would, I, I would encourage you, look in their eyes, and, and you'll see maybe a glassy stare become hope as you tell them that, that they're forgiven, that they're loved, that nobody's, nobody's going to looking to punish them. It's just an incredible light goes on. Um, so again, in a literal, an incredibly literal way, we are the body of Christ. But there's something missing, right? There's something missing. We recognize that we may be the body of Christ, but we are not Jesus. <laughs> we do not have the power that Jesus had. I mean, we, we instinctively recognize this, right? So... You know, so we struggle. Like, is, is the goal just to project happiness and peace and, and holiness, realizing that it's, we're all just, like, talking ourselves into it, like positive thinking? Is, is, is that, that that's kind of what's going on? Hey, we're the body of Christ. Yeah, we're doing his work. Yeah. That's not enough. That's, that's not enough. That's not going to do it. That's not going to do it. So a second reason that we have an incredible, absolute, unshakable faith that what the Spirit of Christ was able to do in that first century, he's still able to do in this 21st century. Not only are we the body of Christ, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a second big, huge foundation. The empowering for this ministry is the promised gift of the Father. In Luke chapter 24, we hear Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit, and then Acts chapters 1 and 2, the promise is delivered. Right? The link between the historical Jesus and the body of Christ is experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That being filled with the Holy Spirit links Jesus bodily to Jesus in the Spirit, Jesus on earth to Jesus in heaven. The Holy Spirit links. By the Holy Spirit, we're a part of that. Right? That's why Paul can say so eloquently that when we are in Christ and Christ is in us, by way of being filled with the Spirit of the risen Lord, being filled with the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our essential connection to the ministry of Jesus. It's not pop psychology. It's not name it and claim it and all that kind of silliness. 
So we have confidence because we're in the body, we are the body of Christ. We're empowered by his Holy Spirit. And the third thing is huge. Don't miss this one. Very easy. The third thing is the ascension. Christ going and being at the right hand of the Father. Even before the ministry, the church begins in Acts. We're given the story of the ascension of Christ. Last chapter of Luke, again, listen to this, chapter 51. Chapter 24, verses 50 and 51. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hand and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Again, we can't miss the significance of what's going on here. See, it's not about Jesus going and being hanging out on a cloud waiting for us to join him, checking his clock. Because, you know, he, he said, I don't know the hour. Only my father knows so, you know, Jesus, that's not, that's not the picture. That's not, that's not what's going on at all, really. Um, like, he's going and he's left, a, he's left his mission to his associates. That, that's, not, that's not what he did. That's not what's going on a, at all. What it's about is about the enthronement of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings, right? We are not sitting here laboring by ourselves, right? We have the King of Kings enthroned in heaven, still calling the shots, Again, he's not sitting there waiting for us. He's still calling the shots through his Holy Spirit, through us, by his Holy Spirit, through us. He hasn't stopped. It's not like Jesus, and then he's dead, and now we're going to talk about the church. No, no, not at all. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in us, and he's in the church, and we're all just like one big happy perichoresis, like just one big happy dance, right? Again, the use of the term power in Acts is so significant Right? Jesus is king, and kingdom power flows in the form of witnessing. It's not, it doesn't flow in the form of magic tricks or doing whatever the crowd wants you to do. It flows in the form of powerful witnessing. So we're wondering, wow, will they believe my story? Will they believe what I say about Jesus? You've got three reasons to believe that they will believe it. Right? We're the body of Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is still calling the shots from heaven. He's not just waiting, killing time. He's still the king of kings, and he's still calling the shots. So our church life has been affected, y'all. We all, we all know this. But remember this. The church is still the flesh and blood body of Christ doing ministry on earth. Hit that last slide there. We are still the church. We're still the body of the risen Christ. We are empowered by the spirit of the risen Christ. We have the backing of the king of glory enthroned in heaven, still calling the shots because it's his mission still. And here's the crazy thing. <laughs> Two closing thoughts here. So only now we've been co-missioned. Dan showed me this the other day. It was beautiful. Right? We've been co-missioned. We have a co-mission. We are on mission along with Christ through his Holy Spirit. We're on that mission. It is totally doable to make Christ-like disciples in the Tri-Cities. I know every time I look at that, I think, ah. How are we going to do that? As I talk to people, I get that same look. Uh, how are you going to do that? Well, I look at the book of Acts, and I know that we're the body of Christ. I know that we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and I know the King of Kings is still calling the shots from heaven. So I'm not worried. I'm not worried at all. And you shouldn't be worried either. We're still the church. Side note, one last thought here. The book of Acts is the only book theologically speaking, I guess, because it's got a period at the end of the book. The book has no ending, right? All the other books, definitely there's an ending. But at the end of Acts, the, 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 the implication is the Holy Spirit is still doing what the Holy Spirit is doing. Christ is still doing what Christ has been doing since the very beginning. 
we are the continuation of that story. The story's not over. So I just want to focus on that as, as, again, as our long-range planning committee, we look at these goals and we look at what we want the church to be and what we want the church to be about, and we go, wow, oh, that's scary. It is, but it's amazing. It is amazing because it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and you get to be a part of it. Y'all bow your heads. Let me close with a word of prayer. Father, you have given us power from on in high, on high. You're calling the shots from on high. There, we, we have nothing to worry about. We are a part of the greatest movement that earth has ever seen. And that movement is going in a direction. It's just not wandering around for a walk in the woods. Father, you're, you're taking us somewhere. And we, and we get to be on that journey with you. And Father, it's, it's a journey, it's, it's a way, not only directionally to you, but it's a way of living. It's a way of living our life in which we, we forgive people, we give grace, and we give mercy when the rest of the world does the exact opposite. And the world looks at us and goes, you sissies. And at the end of the day, guess who's still standing? We're still standing. So Father, we celebrate today, we celebrate the risen Christ we celebrate the Holy Spirit. Father, we celebrate you in heaven. We've got this. There is no reason why we should be worried about a thing. So, Father, continue to guide us, continue to lead us, continue to empower us. By the power of your Spirit, continue to encourage us to be Christ-like. As crazy as that sounds, it's possible. Because that's what's going to make the difference in the world if we're Christ-like, if we decide that we'll suffer for Richland. That's when things are going to begin to happen. Father, thank you for this beautiful future you have laid before us. In your son's name I pray. Amen.